please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. We have How some, are you? We have some intense topics tonight. The title, yes, the title of this episode is Social Eric Rutherford. Social um, Eric Rutherford. Which I like you, this title, by the way. If you haven't been this. paying attention, the way we title a lot of our episodes is just grabbing something from each topic and mashing it up. And in this case, we're going to be talking about social media toxicity, Eric Clapton, Mike Rutherford and uh, gig reports and what's new. So we're going to start off with what's new. Um, I'll, I'll go first. Cause I, I don't have sure. a whole, I don't have a whole lot to share actually. Uh, so I just been playing a lot of damn guitar. Um, and uh, actually um, <laughs> I did order something. It's not here yet. It may not get here until sometime next year. I ordered the new boss. I believe it's the OC five, their current octopedal which has oh. the tracking from their um, uh, SY series stuff. So it's like the tracking yep. is supposed to be just outrageously good. And right. um, I'm going to use that on my live stream. Uh, that is the, the goal is to add low end to my live stream without having to have an actual physical base that I pick up and play, which is going to be kind of cool. I'm looking forward to that. I've been doing a lot more live streams. Um, I'm actually trying to get to be a Twitch affiliate so I can actually like have some extra functionality. What I want to actually do, and this is sort of a shameless plug, but also just kind of like letting people know what's going on over in the streaming communities. Um, what I want to do is I want to add interactivity for people who are watching the stream to be able to do things like make me play a diminished scale in the middle of something or to suggest a chord progression or um, oh, cool. that kind of thing. Like pick a random chord progression or uh, force me to, you know, uh, change the tempo or... Play a, play a fast song, play a slow song, that kind of interactivity. I want people because like a lot of my stream is based around the idea of uh, improvisation, but to get people to actually like help me um, improv, improvise and to come up with new ways of doing things and to also like force me to jump through hoops because that makes me a better player. Anytime I put up a roadblock that I have to overcome um, in the moment, it makes me a better player. So that's kind of what I've been doing. And then also I've been exploring a new approach to playing. Uh, I've shared this with some other people, but I'll share it on the show. And I think it might be helpful to people who are kind of stuck in a rut. So if you don't do this already, which I know there are people that already do do this, you might want to just tune out for a few seconds or like fast forward in the episode. But basically, I'm going to talk a little bit about arpeggiatic playing. But the whole idea that stop playing scales and focus on arpeggios for a while. And the idea is it's like if you're playing a 12 bar blues and it's all dominant seventh chords play the arpeggiated notes from a dominant seventh chord and just yeah. use them to form your solo over it, which is like, it's like a no brainer, obvious thing to do. But when you think about it, it doesn't fit like the minor pentatonic and it often doesn't fit the major pentatonic either. So what allows you to do is to start formulate new ideas. But, but the main thing that I've gotten out of it is when I do go back to pentatonic playing, I become a lot better about, um, emphasizing the right notes for me to land on at the end of a chord 
or at the beginning of the next chord. And it's right. improved my phrasing quite a bit. So I would actually recommend just, you know, spend 15 minutes, a, uh, 15 minutes during a practice session just playing like, and that's what I've been doing is just 12-bar blues using your dominant seventh arpeggios. And um, and actually, once you know your dominant seventh arpeggios, then, then the, you know, the next logical step is to learn your minor seventh arpeggio. And then yeah. also to try major seventh arpeggios against something else. And then you can learn your, you know, if you already know your triads at that point, that's easy enough to to do that against, you know, rock music or whatever other simple forms of music that you've got that don't have a lot of extended chords. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping that the more I do this, it'll help me develop a, a better ear for picking out those chords. So anyway, uh, just some stuff to share. You know, it's a what's new. I'm trying to get, I, I don't really have a lot of what's new, but I, I figured I'd share some stuff so at least the audience would see that I'm, I'm not inept and I actually do play the instrument a lot. Um, no way. So anyway, Jim, you got some what's new. I, I like I, to just leave them on the wall and, and not touch them for a while. Um, yeah. So you I collector, gotta, I gotta, you. I know that, that thing. That thing hasn't moved in two weeks. Um, the yeah. uh, um, I, I've been playing the one that's right here behind my back. My my number one. More than anything. Really, over the over um, the custom even. Yeah. Well, it just. It, I don't mind giving it bumps and bruises. I mean, it's always going to be with me. So, um, not that not that I don't think that will be, but uh, it's one of those things where it, it's relative. I mean, one person might look at a twenty five hundred dollar guitar and go, "I don't want to give that thing any scratches, bumps, or bruises," and I'm more like, "I don't want to give the forty five hundred dollar guitar bumps and bruises." But um, so uh, uh, new to me. Uh, recently, obviously, um, well, not obviously to the people listening because they wouldn't have heard yet. Um, I have a uh, Kemper profiler uh, stage, um, so I guess I can, I guess I can pick it up. I've got it hooked up. Uh, it's actually connected to Alto right now. Almost pulled the guitar down. <laughs> the one thing I didn't almost unplug. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Oh, there it is. Um, I had my purple uh, Jimi Hendrix cord plugged into it and almost pulled it right over. Um, I actually so, have. I actually have to pause for just a second. Yep, they're kids. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? Show the the helix again, or I mean the. Jim, what did you get that was new? I, you guys don't even know what just happened. You guys don't even know what just happened. Like I had a panic attack here because I had multiple people messaging me that they needed to get into the kitchen so they could reheat food. So that was the thing. Jim, you got so, something new in your hands. <laughs> a I giant Kemper stage. Stage profiler. How heavy is that thing? That's not that heavy. Really? It's really light. Yeah, it's. It's very light. Um, I will I will weigh it later if you want. I don't think it weighs six pounds. Yeah, how's the learning curve? Have you had any problems with it? The only thing I've had I had a learning curve with was because um, actually I like the um, the what they call it rig manager. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've seen any... some videos from when it was older to now, 
And I said, I can see how it was a pain in the ass before. Kind of useless, honestly. Are you doing all your pro um, Are you doing all your programming in Rig Manager as well? Yeah. Okay. I, I uh, so what I did was I figured out how to because I was like, oh, this is great, except everything's in alphabetical order. And I was like, how the hell do I get it to where I can perform with it? But then I figured out how to do the performance mode. Yeah, performance mode is all the other stuff where you're gonna live. And I'm already. I mean, it was. I can say this as having owned a Helix and owned this. So far, so far, knowing how to get a sound that I like out of it has been lickety split. I, I, um, I'll, I'll pitch HJ, who was uh, Tone Junkie, who was on the um, show before. H yeah, HW. Um, HW, sorry, thank you. Um, HW, who was on the show before, um, with us, I'll pitch his stuff. I bought every single one of his profiles for hundred bucks. Yeah, can't beat that. And. There's like 6,000. I was just going to say, how many profiles was the gym? Like 6,000? 6,300, I think, was the number. Somewhere in that that vicinity. So you're not talking about just a couple profiles, guys. We're talking about um, some of them included a dirt pedal, which is great because, you know, people say, oh, dirt pedal doesn't work. Well, you can profile your dirt pedal in here. That's the beauty of it. You do your profile with your dirt in, and you get your, you get your sound. And then you're adjusting from there. A lot of his profiles are done with and, Neve consoles and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and yep. they're generally pretty good. I mean, uh, I think some of his earlier ones are not as good as some of his later ones. But yeah. you're probably exploring. It's like everybody thinks, all right, it's Tone Junkie. Like, obviously, he's, you know, part of the P-Dubs community. And everybody thinks, oh, it's yep. going to be all AC-30s, you know. Um, he's got, like, tons of Marshall stuff. Uh, Mason, wrecks. Yeah, Mesa Boogie stuff. He's got he's had several wrecks now at this point. Um, yep. All kinds Dr. of Z's. Dumble alikes. Um, I don't think he's actually had a real Dumble yet, but he's had lots no. of Dumble alikes. Yep. And um, he has the the John Ma John Mayer prototype amp in there, yep. and um, also Marshall Plexi, the, um, which is I'm I'm using um, a lot of it so far has been uh, actually an AC. An AC30 for a clean tone. Here's what's funny: both my both my clean and dirty tones have a king of tone in them, which is funny. That's so not a surprise. What I did, yeah, I, I took all I did was take, and it, it was amazingly like you're actually playing the. I, I, I'm not saying that it feels like an amp in the room. Not I'm, I'm saying it feels like a microphone amplifier. But the the amazing part is the dynamics. Take that game. Yeah. I take that game, I roll it. Sorry, folks, I have a um, cough drop in my mouth. I've had a had a nasal infection for a few days. I finally got some antibiotics. I um, roll the gain off just a little, not a lot, just a tad. And now from my guitar, I can I can make that thing crystal clean at almost the same exact volume as I can push it for dirt. And I can. What has also been great is I can save that profile that way. I can then, this is the thing that I was complaining about why I wasn't using my Strat before, I can build a Strat version of that profile, which needs a little more gain and a, and a little less of the, you know, the, um, you know, I'm verifying, you're uh, varying my mids and highs and lows and listening to Michael Britt. And, and it's, it's like that. It, it it literally is just like that, which I could not get. I'm sorry, I, and I did try with the Helix. I could not get 
what I'm getting out of here with the Helix. Um, Can I suggest something? So this is yeah. something you haven't tried yet, but you need to try this. Try morphing. Yeah, it, and that's my next thing. <laughs> I got to get a pedal. I'm going to order the pedal. Yeah. Because I'm going to try morphing next. Yeah, morphing will change your life because you'll find out that, like, if you're using the same set of profiles for clean and dirty, you can really – you can morph between the sounds. And it's like, wait a minute. I can just use this to change the gain and the delay level and the – um, you know, a couple of different parameters and it like, yeah, it just, it's huge. It's a, it's a major change. Um, and it allows you to go between two settings within an existing profile. So you can, it's kind of like a snapshot, but it's a little bit more because you get all the infinite variation between. So like you could take a high gain profile, yep. go down to zero gain anywhere in between. And then it's, it's not just gain though. You can actually fade in different effects, like if you want an overdrive to come in, right. and you can set the rate at which that happens. It's it, it's wild, it, and actually, it sounds more like this isn't as cool as you think it is until you start using it, and you're like, oh man, how would I ever live without that now? And that's why some yeah. players just completely convert over to the Kemper, and that's kind of where they land and end. One of those players is um, Uncle Eric, which who we'll talk about later. He's he's oh, gone over, he's gone over to Kemperland. Um, he's been performing with one lately. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We got other topics. Just because, first. just because I agree on the Kemper doesn't mean I agree with everything. <laughs> All right. So, um, and, and then uh, another thing I got. So as you know, I've been doing stuff with guitars for other people and for myself. And one of the things that we've talked about in the past and a lot of people talk about is what do I do with my guitars finish? What do I do with my fretboard? And one of the things I was watching, um, I had actually been watching this a while back. There was a, an Anderton special, and they talked about some stuff called Monte Presso. And Monte Presso is, it's supposed to be like Monty's Expresso. And Monty's is a very famous, over in the UK, very famous um, uh, builder for guitar stuff. They're kind of like the UK's, um, uh, what do you Warm call it? Warmoth. Warmoth, right. And so <clears throat> they bit pickups and stuff like that and, and really cool stuff. And one of the things they have is this is this um, stuff that you put on the fretboard that is supposed to protect the fretboards. And um, they wanted to make it so that you could use it on every fretboard or you could use it or whatever. So what I got was two versions of Monte Presso. So there's and I got it in a coffee mug, but it's got a, a seal for the top and what it is is uh this is the light version and it's for it's for protecting your fretboard but not necessarily changing it at all it's just for protecting it okay and protecting guitar so this is wax yeah it's a, it's a wax product and and right i've heard about people using that before it's like almost like a grain filler yep. so um i don't know that i would necessarily unless you're in like a like a really weird conditions where your guitar might get wet or something i don't know that i would necessarily right. use that but i definitely for some people like that's how they sweat a lot for example yep it could be hard on their fretboard and it's worth it to have it that's right and and the back of their uh, and then the other one this is the dark version this one will actually take a guitar this is meant to um kind of um do what what people look for is to relic their fretboard so this is for relicking, 
This is for taking um, an expensive or an inexpensive fretboard and really darkening it up. Yeah. Really making it um, that way. And again, you're filling those gaps. This is not meant to be done every time. This is not even no. meant to be done a lot of times. It's meant to, you put this on with a glove because it will get in your skin. <laughs> um, uh, as far as being, it's a dye, so it'll take a long time to come off your skin. Um, and uh, this one is meant to make your fretboard really dark and fill it in and making it like. Yeah, like it's cool. been, like it's like dirt, basically, and grime right, and like finger DNA. Thing, exactly. Good old DNA. Um, yep. You know, you don't need to you don't need to scratch your name into the guitar anymore because uh, your DNA is all over it. Um, you know, that's it, funny. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that because it's it, it's like if you actually played a guitar and then it got stolen, they should be able to find your DNA on it. Yeah, yeah, they will probably. Um, yeah. It would right. mind. I could never get it out there. I bought toothbrushes just to take the stuff off of. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to talk too much crap uh, in this next uh, segment. Uh, thing. Let me let me actually turn on the segment indicator because we had our little pause. Uh, so segment one, we're going to talk about social media toxicity. And, uh, what I'm referring to actually is like, is this born out of another thing that happened to me? Um, basically I got, I was in somebody's social media group and I got into trouble because I made a post that quote unquote could have triggered people, um, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into what I said, but other than, other than when I told it to several other people, they were like, I mean, yeah, but like, really, you know, uh, and, and I, of course that reaction made me think a little bit more. And what I realized was these people are actually courting an endorsement as we were having this conversation and their frustration was not really with what I said. It was the fact that the endorsement company might actually see what I said right. and have gotten angry with it. Now I had a whole meltdown over this cause I'm like, wait a minute. Like I try really hard not to, not to, um, hurt people's feelings and stuff. And I know that like people have people have language and stuff that they don't like anymore. Right. And so it can be really challenging to try and to try and modify your behaviors to fit yep. the, the new mindset. And it actually been kind of maddening. And that's how I've been for the last several months. It's like, I've been going through these new experiences, meeting new people. And a lot of them are very progressive. Whereas my, even though I'm a progressive person, the things I say are not necessarily very progressive. So it's like, okay, now I've got to start learning all these new habits and things. And it, it was just very, it was very frustrating to me. Anyway, long story short, um, this actually got me thinking about other things, which is the fact that like in, in our communities, being guitar communities, um, all over the interwebs, you will see certain behaviors. Uh, and I'm sure anybody who's ever been in a Facebook group for guitar has seen someone, um, come in and literally not interact in the community at all whatsoever, especially small communities and post their videos of like either they're playing like here, look at my performance of this song or, yep. and, or like, I've got a gig coming up. You should come to it. And it's just a yep. poster for the gig. Right. Yep. And it's like, come on, who is, who is really uh, causing this? And I, and we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit more, but like, the reason why this is toxic behavior, because it sets a precedent that this is sort of acceptable and where it's born out of. So back in the back in the day, 
like before pre-internet times, um, and even really in the early internet times, people used to take posters and post them up everywhere. And they'd have stickers for their band, and they'd drive through toll booths, and they'd slap them on the toll booth, or they'd put them up in the in the uh, the bathroom at a at a restaurant or whatever, so people would see their name and walk away with this. I remember that band from somewhere else, and they were going on the marketing strategy that. Um, you never sell the product the first time somebody sees it. It's, you know, you have to build recognition. So you do that by just plastering your name everywhere. Um, yep. Of course, I don't think anybody at that time was thinking about the psychological ramifications of seeing your band's name attached to a toilet <laughs> or a thing that takes your money. Okay. Right. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, why would you ever want to put it on a toll booth? Why would you ever want to put it in a toilet? Like that's the like the the worst idea, um, you know. Uh, I I just I don't get it. Like truck stop bathroom. Let's let's put my band's name up there. Where are you performing? You know, like um. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so long long story short, um, I've noticed that uh, this is happening a little less frequently today, but I've also seen instances of this kind of stuff going on and, um like less moderated forums. So it's not really just social media there. Like, cause I don't think most people would consider the gear page, social media, although I do. Um, but like in, in places like Twitch where a lot of these modern guitarists are now taking up residence in, in streaming, uh, services and, or, uh, even YouTube people can be uber competitive and they will hide behind the fact that they're not competitive, but they are yeah, really concerned weird. about like they'll show up in your stream or whatever. And they are really concerned yeah. about we're streaming at the same time and you're taking some of my followers because you're doing the same thing. And I have not seen that so much on the music side of things, but I've definitely seen it from the hyper competitive video gaming world side gaming of things. Side. Yeah. Case in point. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to throw out the the Twitch controversy that is sort of fueling a little bit of this conversation. So the, last week somebody leaked the top Twitch people and how much money they make. And everybody was flipping out because like, oh, I can't believe these people are making this amount of money off Twitch and I'm not making crap off of it and whatever." And it's like, "Well, have you ever been in one of their streams?" Cuz like sometimes, you know, they have like 5,000 people in there. They they're not reading chat or anything. People are in there to watch them play. They're not in there to interact with others. So that that's the first thing like that is different between the stuff that most people are watching on Twitch versus the stuff that like Twitch enthusiasts watch. Right. Because they are right. in an interactive exactly. community. But yep. here's where that all became an issue for me because because my wife is actually a t Twitch streamer as well. She pointed out, she goes, none of these people like the, the top 25, or the top 30 are women, not a single one of them. And we thought that was interesting because almost all of the men in the list have been in trouble at some time or another for complaining about the quote unquote, and I'm going to use a word that's that people probably don't like, but this is the, the, the term they use over on Twitch titty streamers. Okay. So uh. there is a whole class of streamers on Twitch of people that would wind up on, on uh, Jim's Facebook trying to solicit him to, uh, to j become Facebook friends um, of people that like get in their hot tubs on Twitch, you, you love those those things that I I quote I clip and I post because it's like, why do these people send? Uh, 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 my point is, why do they send 
those things at all. But still, yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about. But if they're really – this is why I'm pointing this out though. But if they're really a threat, right, right, right like right. why are they not really. in the top 30 list? And the reality right. is those people want to stay in the top 30 list. And so it's hyper competitive and those people are identifying this is a large core group of people that get a lot of views on Twitch and we want to stamp that out. OK, yep. regardless of whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter to them. That's, it's yep. they're taking a portion of my pie. And that's really what it boils down to. And that is yep. exactly what we see in these Facebook groups with guitar players where um, there's one particular player. I'm not going to say his name. I'm sure if you're listening to this um, and you're a member of our Facebook group, you have probably seen videos from this individual in various other Facebook groups. They have actually never posted in ours. Um, right. But they play Ibanez guitars and they play wildly fast, almost just I, I, I want to say like almost atonal and, and I'll use a I'll use a negative word. They play atonal garbage. OK, it's not there's nothing harmonic about it. There's no serialization about it. It's just fairly random. And they have hundreds of these videos that they share on Facebook and various groups. And if you go through the comments on them, you'll see there's like 200 people on some of them that are just like, dude, what are you doing? And he'll respond to some of them, which is really funny. But it's like it's kind of like he's blissfully unaware of the situation. And I don't think he's blissfully unaware. I think. Somehow he has find, found a way to monetize whatever it is he's doing. And he is sharing this footage over and over, almost sycophantically. But but this, but it's all located – like his his echo chamber is in his own head. And I, I, I see this kind of – Biggest beha- echo chamber there is. I see this kind of behavior going on and I'm like, this dude's hyper-competitive. I know people think like, oh, he's not competitive. He's just you know posting to show, show his stuff. But like it's clear when you're playing like that, you're yep. trying to show that you're better than people because you can do X or Y. It's not a joke to him anymore. It's right. now a competitiveness thing. I have 151 videos that I share in various groups of me doing X, you know, um, and and or trying to monetize it and is looking for an audience. Right. So like that's yep. another part of it. So I think um, you got to be real careful if you're getting into these like newfangled musician career paths, which by the way, I I can't imagine you actually making money streaming on Twitch or any of these other things because you're going to spend a lot of money in equipment. Better to use that as a platform to um, get your name out there to sell something else. If that's really, if that's really your goal and ambition. But I see like a lot of people engaging in these behaviors that are actually sort of damaging to their relationship with the community. And I want to point out something that maybe not all of us are aware of, but we're all part of a community, whether we like it or not. We're all part of a guitar musician community, actually two communities, really. Um, And we all want to be part of that community because if you were doing all this stuff in a vacuum, would you really be all that interested in doing it? Um, I've often thought like if the world went to hell, we had nuclear explosions everywhere. And I was one of the last 10 people left alive and we were all separated from one another like or and or in a very, very small group. Would I even want to play guitar at that point? Because it's like, who cares? You know, Um, so just just the thought process. I I think music is fundamentally 
uh, an artistic thing, but it's also fundamentally a community thing. Um, entertainment in general is a community art. You can't, I mean, you, okay, there is self-entertainment, right? But realistically, like the forms of entertainment that we know and we love, like movies and music and art and visual art are all meant to be enjoyed by someone else other than the person that makes it. In addition to the fact right. that the person that makes it got some sort of, you know, some kick out of it, right? Um, yep. So, you know, just, you know, if you're going into these fields, temper your expectations, number one, on what you're going to be able to make out of it. Don't think you're going to get on YouTube or Twitch and suddenly become the next sensation and make a lot of money. That's that's a bad attitude to take. But sort of like also realize that promoting yourself can be damaging to the point where, you know, I wouldn't go look for that guy you know, on, on Twitch or YouTube, like the last, in fact, if I see his videos now, I snooze him. I, I get the guy out of my feed. I just don't want to waste my time with that stuff. Um, it's just not something that's going to, going to be conducive to me. We've had this in our own group. We've had people show up and promote their shows. And right. I, I think we got a message recently from someone. No, this was a while back. We got a message from someone that was like, I want to be on your show. And I want to be like, Ooh, yeah. please provide please, yeah please provide some credibility here i mean we're not a big show we're not there's nothing special here but our format when we do an interview we bend our format for you like that's right. something that we do because we want to get somebody on it's not like oh i want to be on your show so you know i'll just ask and we'll be just right. like all right go right ahead you know like when we had blue on here or we had hw on here or whatever it, the uh the show was at that point bent towards what they do and we don't talk about anything else we don't that's not what the goal of that particular episode is it is about them but it's because we felt that highlighting or spotlighting this was important and if you have a, if you like string joy if string joy said hey or we we went to string joy and said hey we'd love to be you know have you on the show which we haven't asked them but if we asked them it would be because we wanted to talk about strings and how they're made and everything else. We don't necessarily need another um, uh, Michelangelo Badio on the show. Mm -hmm. That that, well, that wouldn't make any sense to just go grab random Michelangelo Badios. He, he was on the show and, and we talked about what it is that he does because we wanted to get a, a, a you know, a kind of a, what does a shredder do? Well, basically, you know? the way we the way we approach it is like, are we going to be able to help you? You know, like that's part of it, but also, right. like, are you going to be able to help us? It's got to be a mutual mutual relationship. Right. But I and, and most of the time when we've had a guest approach us, which we have had happen, Danny Raven approaches, for example. Um, when when you approach us. Like we need to, we need to know who you are. We need to know a little bit of credentials. And Danny Raven actually sent us links to two records, and we went and checked them out. We were like, "All right, yeah, for sure." Right. I, I was, I was actually aware of him, but not aware of him being Danny Raven. Like I'd heard his. In fact, I heard the viral YouTube video that made that made his band Marvin famous, right? right. And I remember thinking, like, "Yeah, I want to do jazz rock. Like that's that's a whole thing, you know." Um, and so, like. That's part of the, the two-way street conversation here. We've had a lot of guests on this show, actually. I think we've had over right. 20. I met over Mrs. 20. Smith. Yeah. yeah, we've had Mrs. Smith. And when Mrs. Smith, that was a, a fan recommendation, right? We've, her, we had, we've had show listeners on the show before. Many show listeners right. on the show. Um, and we're mm -hmm. totally okay with that. 
But it's like we know these people. We know what we're getting ourselves into. And that's basically what I'm pointing out. It's like if we don't yep. know what we're getting ourselves into, that's going to be a hard no unless you explain it to us. And I right. simply just don't have time to reach out and like find this information for myself. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's really that's great. all I'm saying. I In fact, um, we've had this happen a couple of times. I think I had one guy reach out to me and go, I've got an album coming out in, you know, whatever month. And like, I'd like to promote my album. Can you guys talk about it on your show? And I'm like, we don't do album reviews. Like, that's yeah, not part of never, our, you know, no I mean? one, and, and I'm not sure that I'm not sure why you would want to do that, because. No one is going to look to us for an album review. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I'm like. That's the kind of thing where you can promote yourself in the wrong way. And if they came to us and they were like, look, I got an album coming out and like I've been a guitarist for X amount of years and this kind of music I play here, some samples like I'd like to be on the show. We probably have y'all on like that's the way that would work. We'd be like, yeah, let's do it. And that's what I'm pointing out. So like you can promote yourself in the wrong way because you're not being a part of that community. Like you're not, you're not a practical guitarist listener. You don't understand the show format. And therefore you're trying to pitch something to us that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because um, it doesn't fit what we do. And this whole paradigm applies to your relationship with everybody else. So X guy that is playing atonally and doing this wild atonal stuff that really isn't even good technique um, might get some kudos from people who don't understand what they're watching. But for the yeah. most part, the rest of the community is just shutting it off and like, look, I, 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 I want to do, you know, tonal harmony. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've just basically eliminated myself from the ability to play with others by promoting myself in a way that makes me seem counterculture. Okay, so yep. that's basically what it is. Don't be counterculture. Don't be toxic. And when you are like that, it spreads because I know for a fact I've shared those videos from that one player that I've, I've been talking about with other people. and been like, what the hell is this? Just sometimes just to get a rise because I know they have the same reaction I do. It's just like, is this for real? Um, but, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. Like, wait, if that's that guy's jam and he's got a band that does it and they get gigs and stuff more power to you it is not my thing and it's not a lot of people's thing based on conversations i've had um but it but that's again you're always going to rub somebody the wrong way and that's the other thing i want to point out just for mental health reasons everyone seems to think that they can get along with everybody and that's just bs you it's just not going to happen so there is some level of toxicity that's going to happen anyway um, you That's are right. going to rub people the wrong way. There's going to be arguments. It's sometimes very hard to realize that you can't be everything to everyone. But knowing the difference of when it matters is what is what's important. And also being able to separate the fact that, like, sometimes you're going to get an apology and sometimes you're not. Right. And sometimes right. you have to ask yourself, does the apology even matter? And there's different, you know, there's different answers to those questions depending upon the situation. So, um, yep. Well, I like I said to you before, I, I refuse to be uh, um, competitive um, because I don't see one thing. I don't see music as competition. It's not. I don't see music as art. It's not. Um, and I know you. I know you agree with me there. And uh, the other thing is, I don't see any reason when it comes to the internet to get into stuff because it, it, 
people walk in with a bias and they don't listen to the other side of the argument. Mm-hmm. So and that was something we people... talked about at the beginning of this episode, and, and and we'll we'll touch on it briefly as we get to the next topic. I'm sure. Yeah, that that rage into um, uh, they, and they do it. Some people are very. Uh, what's, what's the word when you uh, when you're argumentative, but you try to pretend you're an argu- not argumentative? Devil's advocacy. Um, devil's advocacy. Well, yeah, there's devil's advocacy, but when you're being, um, oh, darn it, what's, um, non committal, passive aggressive. I mean, these are all passive phrases. Aggressive. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Passive aggressive. Well, well, you know, well, you might think that. Or, or in, as they say in the South, well, bless your heart. <laughs> that's a very passive aggressive way of saying fuck you. Yeah, yeah. So if you're ever down here and someone says "bless your heart," they don't mean "bless." That's your heart basically at all. them calling you stupid. Okay, that's yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> like that's what that is. Um, so, all right, I think we've talked enough about this. I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this in this episode, but like it was something that touched me this week, and I because of some other issues that were going on, I thought it was important to at least at least you know kind of give people a little bit of a reality check and and talk about some social media do's and don'ts that people have. Been perpetrating be for in a, a while. Group, if you're going to be in a group, be a part of the group. Mm-hmm. Don't use the group as a as an advertising splash. That's not that's not cool. Yeah, that's yeah. So now we're going to get to the next topic, which uh, I wanted to call this topic something else. It's actually pretty insensitive to use this terminology, but I want to talk about Crazy Uncle Eric. Um, oh yeah, and. Uh, the reason Jim and I are kind of giggling because I said that at the beginning of the show and Jim goes, how are you going to have a conversation with somebody if you start off the conversation insulting someone? Because it automatically polarizes yeah. everybody in the conversation. I totally agree with you. Um, but what I meant was to invoke those feelings about the... We're not having a conversation with him, so fuck him. I'm just saying yeah. that... You know, like, <laughs> about the, about the, i about people in general these days. Yeah. I'm talking about crazy Uncle Eric. Well, I'm talking about the fact that like... Everybody has a, a relative and it some for right. some reason it seems to be an uncle for most people that is just like has their own set of views about the world and their own way of doing things. And yep. Eric you know okay so let's 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 talk about the positive image of Eric that most most players my age have of Eric not realizing that he has a sordid history, right? So maybe some of the more woke amongst us probably know about some of this sordid history. But like Eric was a guy that uh, he was a session player. He had a lot of a lot of the same beginning stuff as like Jimmy Page, for example. He was playing a lot of London sessions with a lot of big bands. Um, he landed the what, did he do? He did Mayall after Cream, right? That wasn't before, or was it before? Yeah, right. So it was before. It or was after? after. Okay, it was after. So so he does Cream with Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce. Becomes a household name as a guitar player, singer. Um, and songwriter, which they all sang in that band, I think at some point. I think even even Ginger Baker, right? Um, if I recall, I it's been. I need to get back maybe. into Cream. I haven't listened to a lot of Cream lately, um, but I know Jack Bruce was the primary vocalist in that band. Um, right. So, right. Let's talk about Cream. Cream is just incredible music, right? Like everybody knows Cream. They know Sunshine of Your Love. They know, you know. Uh, the whole Wheels of Fire record and all the different stuff that, that they did over their over their time period. If you don't, you should check the material out. There's a lot of great stuff there. 
Um, then he goes and joins. I was wrong. Cream was Cream was after Mayall. That's so what it's Yardbirds. Uh, yes, Yardbirds Mayall. Or yeah, Yardbirds Bluesbreakers Cream. Right. Um, traffic for about a minute and a half. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so so it, it, actually, Yardbirds is probably the more interesting thing to talk about, even than Cream, because that was the like the intersection moment for Jeff Beck, for Eric Clapton, and Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. The three, those three guys, all were in the Yardbirds in some capacity at some point, with Jimmy Page walking right away, actually owning the band's name. Um, so, and they all had different capacities. I believe Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton were in the band at the same time, and then Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck as well. I believe that's how that worked because right. um, and he was the blue he was the bass player for one of the two. Yeah, he was, he was the bass player alongside uh, uh, Jeff Beck, I believe. Beck, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's you know it's all water under the bridge. Long, long time ago, and a lot of the a lot of those gentlemen have some very interesting histories behind them. Obviously, there's been the allegations of pedophilia from, from you know Jimmy Page, and of course we've all all talked about that being a different time, and those things being looked at differently at that time, point in time. But basically, the point is like when you look at the stuff in retrospect, um, most people sort of they're like, yeah, it was a different point in time, and it's disgusting, but like, what are you gonna do, right? Um, but when you look at this stuff today. And in a different context, like we're about to do as a result of an article that went out. And this has been brewing for a while. I remember reading about this stuff in 2019 um, and then 2020 as well, mostly in 2020 because of the civil unrest that, you know, Clapton hasn't always been everybody's favorite dude. He went through this time period where where like everybody was looking at Clapton as the god of guitar, right? Like he was the guy and they were literally painting Clapton is God everywhere all over uh, England. And it actually ended up becoming an album cover. And he was, he was always reluctant about it, but I think like, how can you remain reluctant about it when you're making money off of it? Like how, how can you, there, there's a little bit of like, that's a weird juxtaposition, right? Um, yep. So long story short, that is the, you know, he plays with all these famous people over the years. He does a record with BB King and then he sort of, uh, just kind of fades into like retirement. He does an acoustic record that's really well regarded. He tours until he finally retires. He does like oh, and he does a final farewell farewell thing with Cream, where they all get back together. That was sometime in the early two thousands, and then he kind of just fades out of the scene. And then he announces his retirement after doing some big guitar festivals. Okay, so he hasn't toured in quite a while. He had a twenty twenty tour booked, if I recall, uh, that obviously was canceled and, mis- and displaced due to COVID. Uh, sometime in 2021, he received the, or I believe it was early 2021, he received the vaccine. Didn't go so well for him. He had some health complications as a result of it. And uh, ever since, he's just been uh, kind of like in the media and out of the media over and over for things like this is the big one that probably everybody on the show is going to already be familiar with. But he's been canceling date or canceling dates and or rescheduling dates based around the fact that the venue will not allow non-COVID vaccinated people in the venue. Now, this is a bigger problem outside the United States, but it has been a problem in the States as well. Um, outside the United States, because the governments are different and they have different health rules, they can actually order this. And this has been a thing in England that certain places are over a certain capacity are not allowed to have uh, old events in certain areas without, you know, 
everybody being vaccinated. So they have to have proof of vaccination or I don't know how they're actually pulling that off. But basically, like different municipalities in in Europe have different ideas about that. Um, And they have different enforcement because they're not the U.S. So long story short is uh, he has been very, very vocal about the problems that he has had with the vaccine and how they affected him specifically and try to apply that to many other people. Um, and this is where the issue comes in. So a lot of people don't remember or don't realize because they're too young, don't realize that in the 1970s, he had like a racial tirade on stage and was reportedly behind the scenes, a, a um, very devout, like only white national British people kind of person which we don't think about racism outside the context of the United States much, but that's like a big thing in Europe too. Um, Cause they take in a lot of refugee populations from, from Africa and from the middle East. And it's been, yep. it's been a huge problem in, in, in England because of course going back to when they were, you know, uh, in an imperial power in, in India and China, um, you know, holding Hong Kong until the until the late 90s when they started to turn it back over to um, local rule. Like you think about that and you put it in context, you understand that there's this huge issue here. Right. So like a lot of people. So he recanted these statements and I believe it was around 1980 where he had like a like a heart to heart interview with somebody and basically just like kind of sat down and said, you know, I was drugged up out of my mind and drunk and he had a lot of drug problems. So everybody knows that. And he kind of get he kind of got a pass. Okay. He kind of got a pass. He walked away from it. Now, here's where things get interesting. So as a result of um, his stance on the vaccine, which is that you shouldn't get it if you don't want to. Um, and, and or you shouldn't get it at all, really. Um, which, depending on who you ask, like that varies. And depending on the day in the interview, that varies from him. Um, here's where the issue lies. He's been giving money to groups. And this is, this has been, you know, apparently there's record of this giving money to groups in the last year that are anti-vax, but are also conspiracy theorist, theorist groups and also white nationalist groups or have ties to white nationalist groups, at least in the UK. And that this is all tied into his former beliefs as a, uh, a quote, quote, you know, junkie in the 70s that, you know, maybe he didn't let all those those um, ideas go. And so wrap your head around this. So, like, we all know that Eric Clapton's career is based on playing what is essentially black music. Right. He was very, very much into. Uh, the 50s and 60s blues guys, even going back to the 30s and 40s blues guys, um, referencing people all the way back even to um, who's the guy that played Dust My Broom? You know, Robert Johnson. Okay. Um, going all the way back that far. And then he sits on stage and says, we shouldn't have any black people in Britain kind of stuff. And then here he goes and recants. Now 30, you know, 30 years later, he still got ties to that kind of attitude like this is a very troublesome thing it's not that he said those statements and then he walked away from it it's that he's circling back on those statements even though he's recanted it which makes you wonder like what is Eric Clapton going through right now that Jim you brought up 
before the show, we actually had a little brief discussion about this. And you brought up the sycophantic thing. And I think you're probably the one to talk about that most. But um, I'm going to let you have the floor for a bit because I think you can well, yeah, probably lend I, I some to that. that when, yeah, when somebody um, – there's a couple of very nuanced and, and really I don't want to go down too far down the path discussions that could be had. But I wanted to go – I wanted to talk to this and that is – Number one, if somebody sits around and says, you're God, this, and we've seen this lately in our own politics, by the way. It's, whether, it's worship. Whether it be on one side or the other of the, of the aisle, I'm not going to pick a side because there is no side. There shouldn't be a side. That's been the problem for a long time. Right. Um, and so people who come at me, everybody comes at me from both sides because they think I'm on a side and I'm not on a side. I'm on a side of mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. And be real. Yeah. <laughs> and the the fact is that the that there's too many sycophants, regardless of who these people are. And when someone is being told how wonderful and great and perfect and outstanding and you know, blah 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 they are, let's look at the great fall of Andrew Cuomo most recently. Okay. There were there were night late night show hosts, not just one or two several who and daytime hosts and all these people who were saying they were they were um they were Cuomo supporters Cuomo support not only Cuomo support but Cuomo sexuals they called themselves I mean it was there was literally a a word Cuomo sexual and and it got to the point where those are the same people they go oh look what we did we put this person on a pedestal maybe we shouldn't have and I you know, the problem that we have is when someone is put so high, they don't think there's any way they can fall. They think that the base of their pedestal is too strong. And, you know, does that diminish the music that he made? I don't think so. There's a lot of beauty in some of the stuff that he created. Um, I don't think most of it deals but, with that subject matter. And so you can separate the music right. from the person in that regard. Right. And so... Um, Right, it's not like a David Alaco record from the seventies. Take my word for it. Um, it's the, it's that um, there, that we have this thing about Eric Clapton. I don't, I don't mince my words when I speak of of uh, celebrities in any way, shape, or form. I treat them like treat them like, like people and your friends. Like hold them responsible in the same ways. Right. Exactly. And, and I'm not going to give them a pass because they're making, like Demi Lovato lately, making these weird rants about things that don't make any sense. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess she's our crazy Aunt Demi. Um, there, there's this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Aliens. Um, no, it's just this, this thing where people need to say, okay, you know what? I, I, I love you. And I, I think you're great. But you need to change this, or I can't be, it, it, you know, I can't support you. I can't be buying your albums and listening to your music and doing these things. I've got to take that. I've got to pull it back because you need help. You need to find a new path. And you know, and and maybe they'll go. You know what? Fuck you. I'm not taking a new path. And you know what? You have every right to say that. But um, the problem with, with that sycophantic behavior is it goes 
it gives everyone a pass. I just saw a thing with John Stewart on CNN. He was talking about that, how people tend to give a pass to people they support. Sure. And he was talking about both sides of the aisle. Do you know how CNN is? They, yeah, that means that, that the right wing is bad. And he was like, no, I didn't say that. I said, stop giving people a pass when they don't deserve it. <laughs> well, I mean, so, I, I don't even, I think this is a, uh, an argument that's sort of devoid of politics at this point. This is about, right, you know, just sticking to your own principles I mean, by all means, if you believe that that people shouldn't be vaccinated, go see a Eric Clapton concert, and you know, just understand that many of those other people did there do not agree with you. And uh, I think it's a fair assumption at this point to say that I don't think he has a much of a career touring if he continues up with this kind of conversation. In fact, one of the things I felt was interesting about the NBC article was they talked about how his views in the seventies. Like that rant he went through inspired a lot of his like contemporaries to basically go out and hold these big anti, you know, anti events to what he was saying. You know, people like good friends of his like Pete Townsend. So so think about that for a minute, like in in its own way, it actually ended up inspiring a lot of people to do good. Exactly. In its own way. I I watched an interview with someone who was talking about the fact that. He actually, it, it, it's kind of like, he's he's like, um, what's that character from All of the Family? Archie Bunker. Yeah. Kind of like Archie Bunker. He, and of course, Carol O'Connor played Archie Bunker to the to the T because Archie Bunker was the antithesis of everything Carol O'Connor was. By the way, Carol O'Connor was the exact opposite of him. So he made him the befuddling fool that he was mm-hmm. to do that. Now. Um, Eric Clapton isn't playing a character; he's playing himself on a stage of the planet. As, right? As Weird. far as we know, maybe he's a, he maybe he's trying to. That could be a thing, you know. He may be just like so out in left field that he's trying to appeal to a fan base or a group of people that simply doesn't exist. Right, and so it, by by doing what he's doing, he's actually creating a positive energy flow, which is weird. Okay, it it it's strange, but it it does work. Um, uh, against him, going to work against him. He's not going to sell a lot of tickets. He's, you know what? He's Eric Clapton. There's going to be people who go, um, and go to his shows. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to. If a friend of mine says I went to see Eric Clapton the other day, I'm not going to say you must be. It's kind same, of same. I'm, I'm, same. I, I honestly like. I get the intense respect that people have for him. For have for him as I'm a musician. Just, I don't think he's been relevant since the '70s. I wouldn't. I wouldn't pay to see Eric Clapton. Brush his teeth, much less play guitar. I mean, I'm just not gonna. It's not gonna happen. I, 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 I agree. I agree on the relevance perspective um, for the most part. I mean, obviously, um, about the time you get to Journeyman is really when people they're not emulating what he's doing after that. Okay, yeah. um, so I think that's sort of the end of his his tenure there among, yeah. as being relevant. Um, yeah. I do want to preface one thing. So, like, I'm not look. I'm not mad because of the the um, anti-vax stuff, because I sort of understand, like, you have your position on that. And I think that that's a personal choice, right? People should. Right. If, if, and I also know of people that literally cannot get vaccinated because right. they have other be. health issues 
and or exposure to things. I, I know somebody who's a veteran who's actually been exposed to chemicals in Iraq who is not allowed to get vaccinations. Okay. Yep. Um, Cause yep. it could be harmful to his health. And so as a result of that, like there are definitely both biological chemical reasons that you cannot get a vaccine. Like I get right. it. And so you can't make everyone do it. And I understand right. that part of it, but by all means, if you are concerned for your own health and your own family, get vaccinated. Like if you're, if you think that, you're going to be perfectly fine without it. I understand that's a choice that you're making and that you have weighed your options. But it should be made with your doctor. Well, but, but it, it should be, be your, made in a bubble. But, but it, and should, it shouldn't be made because you made a YouTube channel. It should be <sighs> it should be because you consulted your doctor. And like that guy that you were just talking about, the doctor said, you know what? You shouldn't do this. Or you take your own you, you take your own health tact. Right. And right. You, but don't place what you're doing on others, on other people that's that right. that needs to stop. And that's why I have a problem with Eric Clapton, because he had a negative reaction to a vaccine. All right. people must be having this negative reaction, which is simply not borne out in the data from any country, no. from any country, nope. no matter whether it's AstraZeneca or uh, the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, the uh, uh, what's the, the third one, J&J or even the Chinese vaccine or the Russian vaccine, which I can't even pronounce the names of those um, right. that, that are all being circulated throughout various places in the globe. So I just want to point that out. Like, I get it if you can't or if you've chosen not to. I'm not telling you you're wrong. What I'm telling you is the stance for you to go out there with zero details and zero right. real knowledge, because you do have zero real knowledge. You are not a doctor. That's right. You do not have access to the data in a way that that is meaningful because you're seeing it through the filter of whatever, however you're accessing this information. Understand that this is between you and your doctor and not between you and the public. Whether your buddy Joe gives a crap about whether you got vaccinated is totally irrelevant. Okay. But to stand and use your platform as Eric Clapton has done and also not and tie it to other things like racism in the past, which aligns with things you've said in the past and uh, other political agendas um, by donating to organizations is dangerous and it's irresponsible and that we should, yeah. we should at least acknowledge that your viewpoints are kind of turning into crazy uncle Eric. And well, so I'll just, yeah, I'll just leave it at this. If you, if you, if you as an individual, not you personally as an individual listener, wants to say you should make your own mind up, you have the right to make up your own mind, then you shouldn't be trying to convince other people to make up their mind in your way. It, it comes to that, that we, we have this, we've see, we see it with guitars. Oh, you should play Fenders. I play Fenders. They're great. I'm not Fenders. convincing you to play a Strat. <laughs> you haven't convinced me to play a Strat. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact the is, I, I, I say that funny. I know. I have a nice one. It's right there. Where is it? Right there. Um, the, uh, the fact is that, um, all joking aside, we see that a lot. I play, I play Les Pauls. You should play Les Pauls. I hate, I hate weight relief for Les Pauls. You should hate weight relief for Les Pauls. I, I hate the, the um, 2015 tuners on Les Pauls. You should hate those. It's, it comes down to the, the, the most – every time somebody finds something they can – and I use Les Pauls as a um, – as an example, every time somebody finds something they can agree on, 
They find something about it they can disagree on. I drive an Audi. Yeah, you drive an Audi. Yeah, me too. Uh, what do you have? I have a I have an A3. Well, I have an A5, so mine is better than yours. I mean, it's it, it, as if life is some kind of you need to agree with me and you need to do the same things as me. It's like that. that Everybody is always um, looking for validation. Yeah, it's like that line in uh, uh, David Bowie's. Um, uh, space oddity where he says uh and everyone wants to know this the what is it the type of shirt you wear or the kind of shirt you wear mm-hmm. it's 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 just like that it, who cares well but okay that that's gonna go to the next thing i talk about by the way all right I, I, we're, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna flip topics but before we do go that, to mike Rutherford. yeah <laughs> but before we do that i want to i want to have one little tidbit about validation in the case of Eric Clapton. So you're probably asking yourself, why is Clapton standing there saying these things with such conviction? And that's because he's been validated. He's been validated by money. Because right. so many people have paid him and reinforced the idea that you are – you have a valid platform to speak about any topic that you feel uh, is relevant and important to you. Even though we really should be saying – why are you talking about medical issues? Shut up, play guitar. Yeah. I mean, honestly, where have you been the last five years? You didn't even want to leave your house. You know? Right. Um, so, anyway. Uh, also, uh, we'll, we won't talk about that. I was going to talk about Kiss's farewell tour, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I don't really believe it's a farewell tour, but that's a, that's a topic for another episode or maybe bonus content before we get to the gig report. Now we're going to talk about Mike Rutherford. So yeah, I, I wanted to talk about Mike Rutherford, but I wanted to take it to another level. So let the, why don't you – because you found the article. Unless first. you've been living under a rock in the last couple of weeks. There's been an article circulating around talking about Mike Rutherford playing bullet strats. Squire bullets, OK? And uh, so for those who don't know, um, squire bullets are like a $99 guitar, all right? They're, now they're think, 150 Yeah, I was going to say they're not 99 They're 150 now. <laughs> Inflation has pushed the Year price up. A year and a half up. ago, they were $99. They're, correct me if I'm wrong, they're plywood bodies yeah. with a yep. maple neck and Jatoba fretboard or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's not really. It's not rosewood. Um, they used to do them in maple, I think. You could get a maple fretboard version, but I don't think they do that yeah. now. Um, I think it's like the cheapest rosewood substitute they can get their hands on. Um, yeah, I'm looking it up right now. The pickups are historically not good. Um, the switch is laughable at best. The pots are throwaway. The um, the jack plate is not horrendous, but they bend. And once they flex, you can just replace it because um, you'll need a new jack. Like it's just going to happen. Uh, yeah. the, and I'm not going to tear it down too much, but they're made out of plywood basically. And they're, look, they're the quality you can expect for 150 bucks. Um, they have historically gotten better though. The fret ends are better now than they used to be. You used to be able to find them in the stores and they're like razor blades. And now they're, they're much better than they were. So apparently, um, Mike Rutherford, just to give you an idea of what it says in the article, it's from, it's from Guitar World, by the way. Um, in the article, I think it's Guitar World. Might be the guitar.com. Anyway. They say Indian Laurel now for the fretboard, by the way. Okay. That, that doesn't surprise me. So anyway, in the article, he goes. they go to say that he was uh, stuck in South Africa because he was recording something. 
and he didn't have his Eric Clapton strat with him, um, which is which has been his number one for a while. And so, like, he just went to a store and bought, I think he bought a pair of them, bullet strats, and was playing them through a Black Star Fly, you know, three or six watt amplifier. Um, well, he was stuck there for several months during the pandemic. Well, apparently he loved the guitar so much that he sent his tech out and had him buy like a bunch of the damn things. And it's now his touring guitar. It's, it's showing up in, on tour. Um, he, I think he played it on some of the Genesis dates, believe it or not. And, um, this art, yeah. So this article goes on to talk about, you know, this is becoming (laughs) one of his favorite instruments and. I, but but buried at the end of the article past all the pictures is the part that everyone else missed, which is his tech is taking them back to, to the, you know, the place. They're shaving the fret ends down. They're doing all kinds of setup work to them. They're replacing pretty much all of the hardware, all the hardware, which is all hilarious because like, well, you know, the, the, the tuners are kind of janky and the bridge doesn't work that great. So we swap that out and then the electronics get redone because we can't trust those. But we leave the pickups like that was the only thing that that was what got me was he said, like, we leave the pickups. It's like, so wait a minute. I thought that was funny. <laughs> He's playing plywood guitars with a, with a standard C-shaped neck and Squire pickups, which he is. OK, like for two songs a night, he is. Yeah. And what I want to point out here is like their pickups have never really sounded horrible to the point where you couldn't use them. Now, I have played $150 guitars where they, the pickups were straight up unusable. Um, yep. But like I could take a bullet off the wall right now and I could probably go out and take it to a gig. It'll sound not great, but I can get through it. Um, I would be they're replacing all the things on the guitar that have to be replaced. Right. Because you can't, there's no way you're taking that on tour, uh, right? Under those lights, sweating all over the guitar every night, and having it survive a tour—it's just not going to do it. Um, playing in humid conditions, in dry conditions, uh, being carted around in a non-climate controlled trailer—all um, that stuff—it's just not going to survive a tour that way. Um, now, the things to take away from this is basically you can see what kind of spec he likes now. He likes a C-shaped neck, the the you know Fender standard C, the big headstock because if I recall the bullets have the big headstock. They have you know an Indian laurel fretboard, so either rosewood or Indian laurel. Um, it, a quality bridge, a quality you know like all this stuff that he gets replaced on. So I just think it's funny because this is confirmation bias in a nutshell. This is this is aimed at the millions of people that have bought billet strats over the years who are looking for vindication because they never bought anything else or whatever. And like maybe picked up guitar during the pandemic and are playing and they're like, man, Mike Rutherford plays him on stage. Now, granted, I'm a big Genesis fan, but I'm going to tell you right now, Mike and the mechanics, nobody's looking at Mike and going, man, what great guitar playing. Maybe there's some people that do, but like he's a bass player. If you doubt that for a second, go listen to cinema show. Okay. He's a bass player. He's been a bass player most of his career. Uh, Cinema Show, um, Watcher of the Skies is another great bass line from him. Any of that old Genesis stuff, he's just been way over the top of bass. Now, he used to play a split Rickenbacker with a 12-string guitar on the bottom and a bass on top so he could double guitar parts that, if I recall, had actually been recorded by (laughs) Steve Hackett in the studio. So... 
he's not he wasn't I, phenomenally for that, which is why they hired another guy to take the solos and the leads and uh, during during their live shows. So just keep that in mind as we talk about this. Jim, what do you got to say? All right. So I'm going to I'm going to read from the article real quick. It's super lightweight. It feels like balsa wood. Yeah. Pro- highlights prior. That's his tech. But I have changed the bridge, saddles, and put Godo tuners on just to make sure it's more reliable on tour. Mike loves the sound of the pickups, although on a couple of the guitars, I have put Fender noiseless bridge pickups yeah, in, yeah. just in case we get any interaction between the 70-foot LCD screen. Not that a lot of people have got to worry about a 70-foot LCD screen. But think about it. It means that he's a long ways away from that screen. In other words, it, you know, you're sitting close to your computer in most cases. That's so much ju- well, juice, though. Like, And the transformers yeah, they're I using think- to run that stuff are probably the yeah. size of a car. Oh, yeah. They're huge. While Fender's Squire Bullet Stratocasters are cheerfully functional instruments, pro players may want to upgrade and mod the guitars to bring them up to spec. Indeed, they serve as an ideal test bed for tinkering. Yeah. Which is what we've all been saying all along, by the way. If you want to put Goto tuners on, you've got to enlarge the peghead holes, advises Pryor. I've also had to recret the nut, redress the frets, and I would recommend upgrading the electronics to Switchcraft and CTS. It's fine-tuning the guitar, really. Mike has gotten so many wonderful strats, but he also loves these Indonesian-made Squire strats. He can't put down the Sonic Gray one. Um, and he's using them on No Son of Mine and Mama. Um, anyway, and then, and I don't know if you've heard the guitar tone on either of those two songs. It's not like it really jumps out at you, but it's, it's there. Um, I also asked him if he'd like me to take the Squire decal off the headstock, but he said he wanted it to stay. Fender are probably over the moon about that. That's how it ends. In touch. So I, I thought that was interesting, but it doesn't really. Here's the problem. It, it's just like what you were talking about and what we were talking about earlier. It's this, it's this, um, uh, what do we, what do we call it? Confirmation the, uh, uh, bias. Confirmation bias, where you're saying, you know what? We're confirming your bias that the Fender Strider bullets are great. They're not great. Guy told you how they're not great. But I will say this I will give to this. That the Fender Squire Bullet is a great, and this is what he does say, it's a great bed for throwing shit at it to see if it sticks to the wall. It is a great wall for throwing shit at. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine, I can't remember who it was, but we were talking about my custom. So a bunch of people, are you putting, what pickups are you going to put in? What pickups are you going to put in? It's a $4,500 guitar. It's None. getting those freaking pickups. None. That's what it's getting. <laughs> if I didn't want those pickups in it, I wouldn't have bought that guitar. I'd have bought the Epiphone um, uh, that that they just came out for Joe Bonamassa <laughs> for $700 or $800 and put shit in that. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that, that if I want to mod a guitar, it's going to be – the one guitar I'm thinking about modding is the, is the gold top I'm thinking about putting – P90s, but every time I think about putting P90s in it, I go, but I like it the way it is. So I think if I mod any guitar, I'm going to buy an Epiphone and mod that. I mean, and that's what my friend was saying is like, why do people buy really expensive guitars? The first thing they do is mod it. That's like, that's like somebody who goes to the Texas Roadhouse, buys a $40 steak, and then pours A1 steak sauce all over it. It's like, I, I get it if it doesn't have any flavor. 
but shouldn't you give the $40 steak a bite before you decide that you want another flavor? That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that you should try it first. And and more than that, you know, we talk about um, all these things, and I don't think there's any place wrong with it. I think the best text beds are guitars like this. These budget guitars, not, not necessarily bullet end, but players. Um, uh, to me, I would probably use a player or a, um, something like that at, at the very least, get some of the Mexican-made stuff, um, so that at least I've got something I can use that's usable on it. I would hope that they would have a better bridge or they would have better electronics or they would have better mm-hmm. you know, tuners on them or something that I could salvage from them. Um, but that said, if, if uh, I want to strip a guitar down to nothing and just use the neck and the body... It's, it's just like going to GFS. Just like going to GFS. I mean, right. so I kind of look at this in a different, in, in a couple of different ways. I definitely see the the element of like it's an upgrade platform. We know that upgrade platforms are rarely the price of what you bought them for. So if you're going to buy a hundred fifty dollars Strat and then put custom shop pickups in it, you know, Godo tuners, new bridge and saddles, you're looking at. A six hundred dollar guitar at that point, um, right, right. and the joke for me is like, why wouldn't you just buy a six hundred dollar guitar that already has most of what you're right. looking for? Because they yeah. exist. Like we know they, they exist. They exist with a Fender label on it at that price. Yeah. Um. So, you know, six hundred to seven hundred fifty bucks. So it's like, but, but we're gonna go back to this. Mike Rutherford is Mike Rutherford. Right. And if Mike Rutherford tells his tech to go out and buy him a shitty freaking guitar and put too good stuff on it, he's going to do what Mike Rutherford think, tells him to do. I think there's more to it than that. So, like, the Mike Rutherford thing is one thing. But when we talk about these modifications, maybe maybe Mike doesn't actually want all this modification. And one of the things that he pointed out was, like, well, we changed this because we have to for the show. And I sort of wonder, like, how much of that's really going on. When you, when you, get, into, um, when you get into players of that level – it's not as important as you'd think for them to have a specific instrument on stage so much as to have one that works correctly. And so I've known guys that use sustainers, for example, because it's really hard for them on their big stage set to have a sustainer to to get feedback. And that's like, I think that's, that's what I'm pointing out here is that like, functionality may actually be more important in this situation where it's like, well, we're not, we're not going to get noiseless 59 pickups in a fender strat. And I like the color of that one anyway. And really the body doesn't matter much to me because it's all, we're just going to put new hardware on it. So just, just grab those. They're fine. They're 150 bucks. We're going to upgrade the crap out of them at the end of the tour. If they break, we throw them in the garbage. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, and that's the reality of this, right? Or maybe he's thinking like, we can buy a ton of these. I can autograph every single one and I can eBay them, um, at, you know, at the end of the tour. Because this is like supposed to be the big Genesis farewell, right? Um, and so I think those are the things to keep in mind. Like Mike Rutherford is Mike Rutherford. He's not uh, He's not even like a Mark Letiri. And I used him as an example because I saw him in a small club recently. and I Or, or even a um, – uh, God, I'm having a moment. One of my favorite guitar players, and I can't remember his name. Any any small guitar player doesn't matter. Um, he's not one of those guys. 
he's going out to these stadium gigs at places like Wembley Stadium and playing yep. to 100 to 200,000 people every night. So for him, I got to make 200,000 people happy, which means I can't have hum in my signal. Yep. And I need to be able to have a guitar for every song. And I need to be able to get a replacement anywhere in the world. Anywhere. And where are you going to find anywhere? A bullet strap. That's right. Bullet strap. In that color. You can find it in any shop, anywhere. And, and easy. Super easy. So that, I, I got uh, to be honest. I'd probably go to the Classic Vibe Series if I was going to get one to upgrade. But you may not but be able to find be, that in any shop everywhere. That's, that, that's possible. And plus... I hate to say it, but it was also because he said he was stuck and he had to go out and get a guitar. And as we've seen in stores, there might not have been much else in the store. Maybe he liked, Maybe he likes the limitations of it, too. And that's another thing to remember is that creative people yeah. do like limitations. They like to yeah. put rules on what they're doing so it keeps them from going off the rails and getting right. lost on bird walks. I, I do that. I go into option paralysis. And instead of playing, I'm... As he motions screwed. towards the Kemper. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Instead of playing, I'm um, going, oh, I could tweak this, I could tweak that. you know. And, it, and instead, what I should be doing is concentrating on getting the playing done. I try to tell that to people who, you know, in these forums, they'll go in and they'll be like, um, you know, oh, I got to... I got to get the sound that Kirk Hammett had on this record or whatever. And I'm like, you're not going to just freaking play it. If you're so hell bent on getting that tone, you're not worried about playing guitar. Just turn the record on. All right. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to take the, take a step back for a minute. So we're talking about Mike Rutherford. Yep. They're on the Genesis farewell tour. Okay. Yep. There's another farewell tour going on right now. I know that you're a big fan of the band. We have followers who are either in cover bands of their music or covered their music or are big fans of their music and any combination of the above, the whole spectrum. And then there are also people in our group that are like, eh, who cares? Um, right. Kiss is on a farewell tour. Right. Uh, the tour has looked amazing. I've seen a lot of video from it. I'm not a big Kiss fan, but I'm like, man, they're really going out with style. Um, a friend of mine actually messaged me today. He's not a Kiss fan. He went to see the show the other night and was saying, man. It's amazing. Looked, yeah, it looked amazing. Um, he's not a musician. So he did say, he did say they were tight. Like he said, yep. For he's they're tighter than most bands our age, which were the same age. You know, yep. most bands our age at like 70. And, yep. I, and I said, yeah, I said, but that's what I would expect. But I kind of, I kind of said, but their music isn't really tough to play either, and it's not complicated. They're more focused on the stage show aspect of it, so they write simpler tunes so they can do that, um, which allows them to be tighter. Now, there's a lot of rehearsal that goes into that, too. I respect the amount of effort that goes into creating that sort of atmosphere and that kind of music. And everything in the Kiss show is totally scripted, so there's not a lot of room for improv oh, yeah. improvisation and that kind of thing. Um, now, obviously... Every night something goes wrong on the stage show. Gene Simmons has talked about that a lot over the years, and they do have to improv to get around <laughs> problems. But it's often improv for the performance, not necessarily improv in the music side of it. So, um, for example, I think in what was the first show, like where the, the platform tilted like this and Gene almost fell off um, and Gene kind of freaked out. And like there's video of it. So like it ended up on the Internet and everybody was talking about it. 
uh, which is something that didn't have happened to them in the 70s. Now every now every issue shows up in a video somewhere, um, yep. which is interesting. But uh, from from my perspective, all right. So we know there's been a ton of bands over the years that have announced a farewell tour. Um, one of them was Slayer a couple of years ago. They did their farewell, which I think ended in 2019. Um, who else has done it? Uh, Phil has done it. Phil Collins has done it. I think five times where he has announced this is my final tour and then gone back out and tour afterwards. I think it was like five times. Ozzy has done it like five or six times, um, yep, which more. he, I believe he's on one right now, in fact. And yeah, so like, he's never like some of these guys are not going to retire. Rolling stones have actually never announced a, a, we're hanging up the hat gig. Like this is it. We're done. Um, so just keep that in mind. Like there are bands that, that are not a victim of this, but I always laugh because like I heard about um, the Genesis when I'm like, this is a little bit different now. It, it hits home because we all know that Phil's health is like not good. Um, and it's just the result of some unfortunate stuff that's happened to him and, and a hard life lived with, with just really beaten on his knees and stuff that have caused back injuries that have basically left him completely debilitated. Um, so I do actually believe this is probably Phil's last tour this time, but that said, Kiss is announcing their farewell tour. Nobody in that band is in bad health to to our knowledge, right? To our public knowledge. Nobody has cancer. Nobody's talking about, because we've had bands in the last couple of years where members have toured with freaking cancer. Okay. Black Sabbath, right? Tony Iommi, everybody thought they were going to announce the last Black Sabbath tour. And Tony on, we went out the road and kicked ass for, for nine months and then his cancer's in remission. So they're going to tour, you know, probably until somebody dies, um, outside the, the, you know, in that core unit of players. Um, and I think it's really interesting though, that the kiss is announcing this. I wonder if kiss is borrowing the page from like Phil, Phil Collins, who is like, this is our final tour. You know, we're getting old, getting too old for this crap. Kind of like, hey, bring in the dinner bell. Get out here. You got to see us before we're gone. And in another year, we're going to get another ring of the cowbell, you know, for for more dates, either an extended tour or we're going to do another tour. Um, I honestly thought Kiss would be the band where they would just franchise it. Like when Gene finally steps out, somebody steps into Gene's shoes. Yep. Because they can get away with it in that band more right. so than other bands. Um, because it is about the stage show, right? And it is about, uh, in a lot of ways, it's about the the merchandise and the merch, like literally the merch, the, the, the players in some sense are merchandise. Um, I, I could see, you know, Gene sitting and writing songs for the franchise yep. going forward, that kind of thing. And the fans would accept it because they accept that Gene is a business person and that, that that's always driven Kiss. Um, that's right. But it appears that's not, that, that's not the image they're selling right now. Uh, what do you think? Do you think there's going to be another tour? Of Kiss? Yeah. Honestly, no. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Uh, now, if they do, and, and I've always thought the same thing you just said, I think they'd franchise it, put some other people in the costumes. Gene's... Gene's son is quite capable. 
Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name. I was going uh, to say to Gene Sum would be a show. would be a well deserving pick of taking yep. over his father's role. I honestly, the kid looks like him. He's built like he was. He's tall enough to be in the costume. He's he's strong enough to be in the costume. He could definitely do it. Um, Paul, I don't know if he has any progeny that that would do it, but there's a lot of people. I know someone who would. We know some. We know someone in, the, know in the group who is also connected to the show that could that would be, be a great candidate for filling it for Paul awesome, Stanley. Yeah, an awesome Paul Stanley. I I literally thought that he was Paul. St- I thought that he was Paul Stanley. So I, honestly, I, I think that, that he'd be an excellent Paul Stanley. Um, and anyone could fill the drummer's shoes. Um, that that's decent at the drumming. Matter of fact, the guy that's doing the drumming now is awesome anyway. So. I don't think it matters, um, and of course Tommy Thayer on lead guitar already doing the Starman role, and he and he's young, and he's young enough to keep going for another 20, 30 years. Um, um, honestly, <clears throat> I think that's the only way. Because first of all, Gene has said, I mean, he's got issues where wearing seventy pounds of armor is starting to wear on him. But people and act like redu- all- reducing. All right, so here's where I think that's kind of hilarious, though, because. All of that stuff that he's wearing right now can be reduced in weight and it can be and, and the stage show can be made to fit him at the age he is at right now. Even if that means, hey, Kiss has got a new look and it's not it's it's not retro armor anymore. It's this other thing right. like right. That's all doable stuff. Look, I, I know there are people that could do this with carbon fiber and, and whatever. And, and even make 3D it printed. I mean, now. that's what I was going to say. 3D printed. Um, but. They have a certain way that they like to do things, and honestly, I if they don't franchise Kiss, I'd be surprised. I'd honestly be shocked because I could see Paul being convinced by Gene that it's a good idea, and honestly, uh, Paul wants to do what Paul's doing, which is the which is the whole going off, no more makeup. It's well that kind of makeup and going into this fan of the opera and these, these things that he's been doing. And again, there's a lot of sick fans on that. Cause frankly, I don't think his voice is up to it. That's right. And money, money talks. Money talks. <laughs> Bullshit walks. Money he, talks. Yeah. And this I'm is going to, this right is going to cause them to walk back out because what is going to happen is they're going to go off the road. They're all going to be like stoked on this idea. We finally hung it up. And then somebody's going to come out of the woodwork and they're going to say, you know what? I'll pay you $4 million a show for you to go back out as kids. He's what, 71 right now, I think, Gene? Yeah, Gene's 71 years old. At 75. I'll pay you four to $5 million a show. Gene will get out of his wheelchair if he's in one at that point and summon the courage to put on styrofoam armor to go do it because – that man has always been motivated by money. I think if they could have, they could have done styrofoam a long time ago. I think if they were going to do it, they would have done it. And and it's just, I still think that that, and they could pull it off. That that they could have. It, um, you're too young to have seen Pink Floyd's The Wall tour. In Pink Floyd The Wall, they had a they had a set of fake musicians. On oh, stage. I know. It opened with fake musicians, and it starts out, and you hear this, you know. And it's a surrogate band, you know, um, and they were wearing masks. And so we didn't know. It was really cool because back then we didn't have the Internet to ruin it for us. Before right. We got right. there. 
Um, and so it was a really great, awesome show, you know. And the point I'm making is that they could easily do that with them. Easily. I mean, it, it's just... The, you know what? The characters they, they could live have, on. They may already have a plan for the hologram thing. They well, that's might, what ABBA's doing. Well, that's, you know, and that 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 that's silly to me because it's not really a performance at that point. You're watching a film. Um but we pay a lot of money to go to the cinema too. So um, I, I I don't think this is the last Herophagus. Now, the other band I wanted to bring up was Slayer since they did their last tour. I don't know if you – so obviously Slayer has only got half their guitar. That's Kerry King, right? Yeah. Um, they lost uh, their other guitar player, yeah, uh, Hanneman, um, um, a few years ago. And uh, they, decided to, they decided to hang up the hat. And a lot of people joked that it was because Kerry couldn't play. And that was like Jeff was really the the guitar force behind the band. You know what? I they're not wrong because Jeff is always doing the solos. Carrie can play. I just don't think Carrie's as good as Jeff is. But that didn't mean they couldn't oh. get some other young buck to come into the band and sort of like give them some new energy to go out yeah. and start and start melting faces. Like Judas Priest did, right? Yeah. So here's the issue with with the, the the Slayer debacle. So everybody thought until recently that Slayer was done and that there was like no hope for them to reunite, that Kerry was sort of done. Hang, he was, he was moving on. Kerry said honoring another guitar player. Um, and I want to say it was machine head. He was actually honoring the whole band. He was doing a, like an award ceremony or something via, via zoom. And he basically said like, you guys were, you guys have a really you know great thing. And like, I hope you don't decide to hang it up too early. Like we did. And like that was basically enough enough to get the rumor mill going now that yep. Slayer's coming back because and, and you know what? I, I honestly don't think Slayer would have intended to come back. And I think they'd probably get away with it. This ain't Motley Crue, right? Where Motley right. Crue did it and they hung it up and then they walked away and then they did another farewell tour and and made more money on the farewell the second farewell tour. And I think yep. Motley Crue is actually done now. And mostly not because Motley Crue is done, but because Vince Neil is just physically not capable of doing he's, it. No, no, he's not doing well. And um, now Mick Mars is – God, the guy's got to be 75 years old. I mean he's – because if you didn't know, it's like Mick Mars Mick is always 15 older. years older than everybody else. Always. Yeah, a lot older than the other guys. Yeah. So the other guys are – you know, the other guys could tour for another decade. But Mick's, Mick's pretty much done for. And Mick, unfortunately, if you're not paying attention – is probably the most important member of that band outside of maybe Nikki Six, um, from the songwriting perspective. And I was going to say from the songwriting perspective for sure. You would have to. I mean, you, there are guys out there that can play mixed parts for sure, but people yeah. are not going to accept that out of that band because that was the dude, right? Like that was the guy that wrote it all. Right. It's like going on tour with Van Halen without Eddie, right? Um, yep. so it, that's why I want to, want to point that out. But like, um, I think that there are definitely bands that do hang up the hat and they walk away. I just don't believe that kiss is really, really hanging it up. I know people are going to be like, no, but you know, no, but no, but no, but li listen, we will only know in five years and don't be shocked if it isn't the end. Um, right. it not, may not, maybe like what you suggest, which is, it's going to be a franchise thing. But I have a very strong feeling this is not the last time that Gene and Paul will be in the costumes. Um, and they may, well, even do, they may even ask Thayer to step aside for, for a tour. 
And that's a possibility too that a lot of people aren't thinking about. Is that like put Ace up there one last time? Yeah, and and I could see that being like a five or ten show thing, five or ten cities worldwide. Do like New York, L.A., Chicago, and then overseas, you know, London, Paris, that type of thing. Do one big last hurrah, it, which really it didn't even have to be a tour. They could actually announce it as one-off dates. And right, then they get away, and then they also get around the way that they screw their fans by saying this is the final tour. And by the way, right. I'm not like I have no remorse for not going to the show. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to have a moment. My listen, I don't. I didn't go to my senior prom. I didn't. Did you go ever to, see Kiss? No, I didn't go to my prom. I didn't go to my homecomings. This is not going to bother me at all. <laughs> Those no, didn't no. bother me. Just, this one isn't going to bother I'm not me saying, either. I'm not saying. Well, you should. <laughs> I can say this when it when it came to seeing Kiss and I've seen Kiss live many 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 times, and I can tell you this: it didn't matter if they had a new record out, it didn't matter if they had new. Those guys, that show, there's so much of just you are lifted out of your seat. I mean, you're just it's a, it's an experience. It's kind of like I have never liked the Grateful Dead. I have never been a fan of the Grateful Dead. I'm going to admit it right now. But I saw the Grateful Dead, and it was like. Wow, you're just in a you're in a sea of human like euphoria, and it just feels so good to be in that crowd and to be part of it. Um, Iron Maiden was that way. ELO yeah, was that I was way. just gonna say Iron Maiden was the one that that where I walk away and I was like, okay, I get it now. Um, I I think it's interesting though. So if you don't have tickets for this for the set, if it's an outdoor gig that's near you, my buddy went. It was sixteen bucks for lawn, which yeah, is why I'm it's great. Just get a lawn suit. Well, that, what I was saying was, I, it's why I think this isn't the end because <laughs> I can't imagine and real end of life tour dates for Kiss with lawn seats for sixteen bucks. That's something that Gene has always been a marketing genius in. He he gets every he dreb, he gets every last squeezes every last penny. Out of every last date they get, I when I went to see them last, I think they had because um, they hadn't sold out the lawn or something. They they had eight dollar seats the last one. You couldn't move in that place, and, and getting just to the beer um, tents, you know, from the lawn. I was on the, I was in the lawn, and I was trying to get to the beer tent, and the lawn and the beer tent are right there. And it's just like you couldn't move. It, there were so many people packed into that area, and I thought to myself, uh, "One one place, one well placed bomb, and there'd be a lot of people going." Um, it, it was just amazing, but the, the rush of euphoria from those kind of of shows. I don't know how many shows you've been to like that. It just probably, brings you into another. Probably plane. more than you think, but but still, I just. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. I understand. Yeah, I, it's just it's not my it's not my scene. And quite frankly, I missed my opportunity. If my buddy had reached out to me, as like, hey, man, I'm going to see Kiss tonight. I need somebody to go with me. I probably yeah. would have gone. Yep. But like, in all yeah, honesty, I wasn't looking for dates to that tour. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, man, I really got to see him before it ends. Um, and actually, my, my joke to him was because he had seen Korn uh, a couple weeks or a couple months ago uh, when Jonathan Davis had just gotten off COVID. I don't know if you heard this story. So apparently he'd, he'd had COVID. He'd gone to the hospital. He'd been in the hospital four days. And they saw him on the show after he got out of the hospital. He had oxygen on his stage with him. So he'd sing a couple songs oh and then run God. over and, be, and then like do a bunch of hits of oxygen and then run back out, finish the song, you know? Um, 
I was like, he's not even that old. Like, what? You know, he's only in his 50s. Like, wait, what? And uh, it was just like this whole thing. And I, I saw he teased him. I said, oh, you're going to see another band on Life Support, huh? You know, he's just like, he's like, shut up. <laughs> so, yep. All right. All right. Yep. Let's let's move on. So final segment. Let's talk gig report. Uh, I actually want to share. I don't really have a gig. group. Well, I mean, I have gig stuff I can talk about, but I think this is more interesting. Uh, this is a gig report related thing. So I didn't play a gig uh, this weekend. Um, Friday night. I was like, or actually Monday night, I was like, I got a live stream tonight. I need to start getting ready for this gig. So Friday afternoon or Monday afternoon, I started playing my acoustic because I thought I was playing acoustic for this gig. I was like, man, this is really going to suck. I really don't want to play acoustic for this gig. It's an outdoor gig and we don't have power. So I'm like, I I have to bring my portable powered PA product from Behringer, which by the way, this thing never ceases to amaze me. Every time I bring it out, I'm like, it's bad, but it's not as bad as you think it is. Um, and so like, I, I was like, all right, we'll, we'll take a, take a good long, hard look at this and figure out what we're going to do. Um, so over the next couple days, I, I rehearsed during the day. I did two live streams. I think I did Monday, Tuesday. And I also believe I did Friday, which was uh, which was an unscheduled one. And then, um, was like, I think it was no i did thursday friday friday was like i gotta get ready for the gig now uh share a couple things i keep getting song requests from the band like let's do this song too and this one we're not rehearsing before this gig uh we're up to three yeah. new songs at this point and i'm like guys because <laughs> they're just gonna read off the charts you know and like I'm, i'll do the same but it's like we can't just keep adding new material to right. every to every set, you know, um, so I'm looking over at my door because I heard a loud noise in the hallway. Um, That's right. I was looking at my uh, thing that tells me how warm and humidity yeah. is in here. So, so I got the door open. I'm trying to cool it down. So anyway, that afternoon, I'm like, you know, what would be really great if I could play electric. So I have my ethos, which is actually out of frame and behind me. And I plugged it. Yep. I plugged the uh, cabinet out into my, I mean, I put it on a board, plug my cabinet out into my PA. Got it sounding pretty good through my, actually before I put it in, I had it through my, through my doll. I had it sounding pretty good. I'm like, all right, now we just throw on the PA, see what that sounds like. My battery died. Okay. I'm using these carbon zinc batteries. Oh yeah, yep. Which are they're super cheap, and I use them because they sound great in fuzz pedals. But I know these are not gonna; these are definitely not gonna power that thing long enough. So I have one of these. I throw that in there. I get thirty minutes of playtime. Now I'm not sure if this was fully charged when I put it in there, and I suspect it wasn't. But that said, I'm like it's Friday night, gigs tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., which actually turned out yep. to be it was supposed to be 11 a.m., and I'm like. I can't do this. So I, I ripped the ethos off the board and there's a blue pedal back there. It's the Behringer SY, whatever it's their amp their amp modeler pedal. Okay. Right. Yep. Which is basically Sans amp GT two, except done poorly. And, uh, so I grabbed that off the wall and I plugged that into the PA. 
And I'm like, oh, God, this is even worse. Um, so I rip that off, you know, throw it back up on the shelf. And I finally get I get a compressor. I've got um, a couple things. I mount them on my board. I wire the board up. I get it all tied down so I can take it to the gig in the morning. I test yep. it out real fast. Uh, I had to run out and get the kids food. I texted the band, said I'm all ready to rock and roll for tomorrow. Uh, got the songs, you know, down and whatever. And I get a text message back and I go, I actually asked, what time do I need to be there in the morning? I get a text message back saying gigs next weekend. Oh, shit. <laughs> shit. Well, let me explain to the audience why this actually happened. So... At some point, probably at the last gig when I was in Springfield, we talked about this and I was told the 15th, Saturday. And I didn't bother to look. We had a Facebook event going around. I just assumed it was the 15th. In the haze of all the other things I've got going on. So like just to give give listeners a bit of an insight into what my week is like. I spend close to 12 hours a day working. I spend an hour a day podcast moderating throughout the day. Um, so like the Facebook group, I spend about four hours a week editing, which has actually gone up because I'm trying to get caught up. So I'm at about eight hours a week now. Um I do two Twitch streams a week at minimum, which are usually two hours long. Um, th that week I did six. So I spend about two full days working on other projects, including stuff around the house, like replacing door handles, which is something I've done in the last three weeks. Um, and just all kinds of nonsense. I am going 100% of the time. If you do not see me in the Facebook group, I'm not asleep. <laughs> that, that's not happening. I'm probably working on something. So in all of this, it never once occurs to me that I should reach out to them and be like, yeah, it shows this weekend, right? I'm, there's not enough communication going on here because I've got all these other things I'm juggling. And the main thing, main focus I had was acoustic or electric and I got to learn these three damn new songs. Yep. So just, you know, put it in perspective. And it's not like I can go in and just know the chords to the songs, which I knew the chords. I saw them. Uh, it's just like I need to now have these songs done well enough that when we get in the group, like I'm going to be able to feel it out with them um, and to sort of be able to mime it like we've been practicing it for months. Um. So just just worth mentioning, like that's that's where I'm at right now. And that's why you end up with me thinking a gig is on one weekend and it turns out to be the next weekend. Um, <laughs> I do know it's next weekend, though. So anyway, Jim, go on. Don't be as inept as I am. Yeah, so I, I had a gig uh, Sunday morning uh, last week, Sunday. Um, where I, I actually had two gigs. They were back to back. They actually were almost concurrent. They they had the um, what do you call it when the circles have a, a, a Venn diagram? 
Venn diagram. It was a Venn diagram of gigs. So, um, I started at church, 10 a.m., rehearsal, playing, three songs, on bass. I have, so, the, the morning actually started like this. The night before, <laughs> I put most of my gear in my car. So, my amplifier, everything else in the car. Um, next morning, the bass and my number one go out and into the car I go to church I'm in church I got number one is still in the car I really didn't want to leave her in the car I was like oh please don't don't anything happen to that guitar while I'm in here so um, I played the church gig from 10 to 1 actually 12 yeah 1 o'clock 12 31 o'clock somewhere here. I finished that up they said, hey, stay and eat. So I make myself a quick food, and I do 15 minutes where I get myself some food. I sit down. I talk. I eat. I'm really good at this. I was in the Navy. I could do this in 15 minutes. I'm up. I'm out. I'm on my way to them. I text them. Go ahead. Um, take a break in 15 minutes. I'll be there to um, do the thing. Actually, take a break a half hour. It was a it was a half hour drive to the yeah next gig. yeah. It's all the way down almost to the North Carolina border. So I'm driving <laughs> down here, taking the back roads. Literally, one of the roads is called Elbow Road because it's got so many <laughs> 15 mile an hour bends to it. I get out there. I pull all my uh, I'm like I'm with the band. I pull I pull up to the to the security thing. I'm with the band because we're playing this uh, Porsche event. It's a private security thing and everything. Um, and it's in a museum. I need to be able to pull up to the hangar. It's in an aviation museum. There's big old uh, um, airplanes, bombers, and everything else. In there. I need to be able to pull up to there, back my car in. I said, I'm with the band. I'm the last guy. They, they said, you'd know I was coming. They said, yep, come on this way. So I'm driving up to this place where nobody's supposed to be able to drive up, back up. Take up all my stuff out, set it up, drive my car back out, park it, leave the base in there now. It's hot as heck by this point. Yeah. Um, did not enjoy leaving the base in the in the car, but it wouldn't have been much better in, at the gig. I set up all my gear, I turn it on, and uh, spinal tap moment. I've got my wireless. Oh, and you get radio I'm signals. I'm in a hangar. I'm in a hangar. Yeah, I'm in a hangar with a wireless. And it's like, and I go, oh, man, something's wrong with my amp. <laughs> and Charles shooting my amp. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, what the hell's going on? Finally go, I, I said, all right, let me plug straight in. I plug straight in with a wire. Straight to the amp. Nothing's going on. Oh, it must be the pedal board. <laughs> it did not occur to me for one second. And it was my wireless unit. Finally, I, I go. I had it happen. And I left my tuner on. Yeah. Keep going. So I, I unplugged the wireless. I put the wire back. I'm like, yes, but now I can't run around. And I was a little bit, because I'm a very active on stage guitar player. That's what I am. That's what I do. You know, when you're the, when you're not very tall and you're not very great, you do things to 
over you know, your kids. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, you got you got to prove the size of your pee pee. I get it. Right. <laughs> so, um, I get to the gig just fine. Now, here's the other thing: as a drummer, we never rehearsed for before. This it gets worse. No drummer, we never rehearsed with before. And what's next to my amp? The guy goes, well, I can move my amp a little bit. I look over, and I'm looking at a Fender Twin. Or no, a Fender um, uh, Blues Junior. Now, I forgot there was a smaller Junior. Remember when the Junior was smaller? You mean a Pro was, Junior. That's what they call it, the Pro Junior. The 10-inch Which junior. is really small. With only two. a tone control. <laughs> right. Tone and a volume. That's right. it. And it's like really crappy, right? That's the one I was thinking of before when I said, "Wow, I hate the I hate the Fender um, Blues Junior." That's the one I was thinking of. You know, I've heard so many people like praise the Pro Junior, like that amp is so great. I think they sound like hot garbage. So to- I thought it was shit. And what's what's the plan through? What what's the guy plan through it? A fucking harmonica. You've Always. gotta be shitting me. Always. Like, oh, come on. Next to my amp. So he's already set up, and he's a buddy of the drummer who's a buddy of the keyboard player who's playing with us. Who set the gig up? I was not happy. I was way less than happy. I almost said to the band leader, I'm out of here. I, I see a harmonica player. I'm, I'm out of here. I... I I can't stand those guys. What are, I hate. What, what's your What's your issue with the harp player? Like, let's let's delve into that because I think this is uh, this is interesting. I have had issues with harp players before too, and I'd like to. Well, like and, to share. and I'll tell you what the issue is. It it came up, so I'll tell you. So I, I it, we go into the first song that we're supposed to play, and it's it's "Take It Easy" by the Eagles, and um, we go to go in it. And the drummer rushes it, and then. All the way through the song, what's a harp player think he's got to do all the way through the song? Play. Yeah. They can't shut the fuck up. Shut up. You're a fucking harp player. Play harp parts and stay out of the vocal and stay out of the guitar solos. Stay out of the other stuff. We will nod you in if we want you. But you're like, you're like um, mayonnaise on a peanut butter sandwich. Most harp players have a real hard time learning to accompany. Yes. Um, and it's because a lot of the music that they listen to is harmonica focused. Yeah. And I have met some guys that guys and gals that play harmonica that just want to, they want to rip all night. And, it, you know, they always show up. They got all the gear. You know, they got the the band the bandolier of harmonicas. Half the time, they're picking the wrong damn harp, and that's that's exactly what I was going to say. And how he was in the wrong key half the time, I don't know. Picking the wrong harp. Yeah, that's Does, exactly right. Just doesn't know that you know cro- about cross harp or any of that. Doesn't have his keys down. Doesn't know that you know this song really doesn't fit with a major pentatonic or you know like. That kind of stuff. Now, I played with a guy. Um, oh, this guy. So there's a guy, Billy. I don't know his last name is. If I knew his last name, I would just be like, I would be touting this guy. Um, he came to Open Jam. Older guy. It's probably 60. Maybe maybe older. Um, with harps. 
And I got that vibe. You know, of course, I see Harv, so I'm like, oh, crap. I got called up with this dude, and this dude can wail. He was really, really good, and he knew how to accompany, which I was like, oh, my God. This guy is really good, and he's been around. Um, and I had no idea. So he asked to sing a tune, and they let him come up and sing, and he's got blues pipes. Like, incredible voice and blues chops for singing. And I just kind of sat there, and I was like, this dude might be the most seasoned veteran in this club. Like, because this guy's been everywhere. And then he sat down with me and he told me a bunch of stories, but it was just this definite moment where like you realize just because that all some most harmonica players you've run into suck doesn't mean they all suck, but it should be a little bit of a warning sign when you get on stage and there's a harp player you don't know, like right. maybe, maybe even like take two minutes to, Hey, my name's, you know, in my case, my name's David. And I just want to like, I want to welcome you on stage with us, but like, I'm going to tell you right now, please try to stay out of my space when we're yep. playing and just like feel the tune. If you, if, if you don't know what to play, don't play. Like right. if, if, if you feel like you're going to be in the middle of somebody, don't play, try to keep it low during the vocal. And like a lot of times, just a little bit of direction, like that'll go a long way. But I know yeah. that some of these guys, like they get an ego about it and they're like, what do you mean? You telling me how to play. I wouldn't tell you how to play. And it's like, but dude, Let's be real here. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do all night? Because, 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 right. you know, that that's the thing. Like, I, I have to take direction on stage. I don't get right. to make up the chords for every tune. Like, <laughs> right. The, the difference is we're not playing an open mic. We're not playing an open jam. Yeah. We're playing a, we're playing structured pop music um, that is, that has got a structure that's exactly. already built. Exactly. In, and we, and because we don't have a harp normally, we don't have any harp songs. It's not like we're playing "Smoke in the Boys' Room." It's not where we're playing. Um, a great harp player uh, can fit in those tunes, but they have to know how to accompany. And if they don't course, realize, yeah. like sometimes it's just following the root note and maybe rhythmically emphasizing either what the bass and the drums are doing, or like playing something that's chordal behind the the guitar line, like. If you don't have that forethought as to how you fit into an arrangement, it doesn't matter whether there's a harp part or not, because you're just going to you're just going to shit all over the tune anyway. So that's basically what it is. And we've also been I've also been in situations where the harp guy feels like he has to drown everybody else out, too. And he brings an amp that's too big. And harps in general have so many frequencies that come out of them. It's real easy for that to happen. And they're fine, overwhelming people. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I well anyway, like I said, so the the gig went okay. Um, we got another gig out of it, but I told I told the band leader straight up. I said, because we got to go all the way to Williamsburg, which is like an hour drive, and I said if I'm gonna go to Williamsburg, which I never I hate going north of here, because um, you always get caught in traffic. It doesn't matter one way or the other, maybe both ways you're gonna get caught in traffic. I said, let me tell you something. I said uh, I'm not gonna be I, I'm not. I'm going to be negative, but I want you to know not being negative for the sake of being negative. I want you to know, number one, if the heart player is going to be there, I'm not going to show up. And number two, um, because even though you had him turned down in the mains and you couldn't hear him in your monitor, believe me, his amp was right next to mine and I could hear it. So number two, and more importantly, um, that drummer, no. No F and Y. He could not stay in control said he was going to play by by the 
book. He literally had sheet music. Literally had sheet music. And fuck up endings and stops and starts. I, I don't know. I, I just know that either your sheet music's wrong or you really don't know how to read. And we're not talking about stupid people. We're talking about he's a he's a um, a renal doctor. Mm -hmm. You know, he does does cardiovascular. Um, the heart player is like a another like intelligent guy. The keyboard player we had we got drunk, but. In real life, he's a NASA freaking, literally a NASA rocket scientist. We had a rocket scientist, a renal doctor, and, a, and someone, are, they, and they were the worst freaking guys to ban. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, just because you have money and you have good instruments and quality equipment does not mean that you actually know what the hell to do with it. Um, yeah. So all we were missing was a blues lawyer with a PRS. That's what I was just gonna say. Like, who's the blues lawyer then? Like, are you going to law school, Jim, or like, how's this working? Yeah, that's, um, I need to do that. Um, so anyway, that's that's all I got. So difficult situation to be in. Like, playing with harp players can be a real pain in the ass. I don't think I would ever turn in a gig for having a harp player, but I would definitely set some guidelines. Like, this will be the last gig I do with you if they can't figure out how to like at least leave room for guitar or well, I'll be, I'll be in in ears and, and through this thing. So I'm not even gonna. Oh, so they're, so, what they, <laughs> so they're doing silent stage. We're going to, we're trying to go to silent stage. We're going as hard as we can. Is it. this your, and so is this your big gig or is this, this like a new thing? Yeah, this is the bigger gig. Okay. And the, and the church one, even though we're not in in ears, we're trying to go silent stage. So that's another, Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let me know how it goes. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, gig reports on that. I've uh, okay. we've been having some conversations about that locally and like with other musicians and stuff. And a lot of people I talk to are like, we ain't doing silent stage. There's no one hell. And it just has to My do. My first one is going to be October 30, 30th. So. Yeah. It just has to locally just has to do with the fact that it's like, dude, it's freaking rock and roll or it's blues. Like this ain't this ain't a church that, you know, you're playing a church. That's a little bit different. And it's like, it's going to be loud. You just got to got to get used to it. And if people can't take that, then we got to play other venues, you know, and that's kind of, and that's, there are definitely venues around here. The one I go to open jam is definitely louder than people would expect it to be. And yep. unfortunately it's just, you know, guys, we're going to have to kind of accept that music is loud if you're going to have it. And yeah. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm like, oh, whatever. I, I, I do, I wouldn't mind going silent stage, but I think there are hurdles to that that I don't think a four-person bar band can deal with. Right, where we're, a, we're, we're, a, um, we have two subs and six mains and um, not six a, people on stage. Not and, even a question of equipment. It's a question of who's your sound guy, who's handling your monitor yep. mixes. How many monitor mixes yep. can your and the only equipment thing is how many monitor mixes can your board put out? Because yeah, we have fourteen monitor mixes, so we can put out as many monitor mixes as we Because and um, and having a guy that knows how to dial in ears is a big deal because the first thing you're going to learn is it can be disorienting oh, yeah. as shit. Oh, I know, I know. I used to sing with in ears, and it was it was very different. Let's just say that it, it's disorienting for for our listeners. Before I wrap this up, um, you literally lose the sense of what musician is next to you because what you don't realize is when you're playing in a typical venue space, 
you know the wedge, but you also listen for their amplifier and you may not even realize you do it. And so like you don't hear the bass player to the right or left of you unless it's mixed that way. And you don't necessarily hear – you might hear everything super clear, but you find out like I really don't want to hear everything super clear. Like I want to be able to hear the kick more than anything else. You know, and that's the kind of stuff that like happens where having a monitor mixer, like somebody who literally that's their job is is to adjust those auxes, is really really yep. helpful. Um, you guys will find all and that. We out have out. sound. Yeah, but yeah, it, we but, have a sound like. But even that, a lot of people say you need a second person to handle the aux mixes because sometimes things need to change on the fly. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm just you know it just depends. It depends on what you're doing and stuff. But like these are all problems. I don't have has control to. Of my own mix. You, yeah. you, you will you will have control. How are you guys doing yep. that? Are you I'll using have wireless? Are you so doing just use my? Oh, so you can have multiple iPads controlling your your uh, mixer at once? Because a lot of them yep. are all, a and lot it, of them it, one it pa- assigns, iPad at a time. Yeah, yeah, and it assigns like. If you're the one to log in, you get assigned a uh, um, mix, and you can't mess with his mix. You can only mess with your mix or right. her mix. That's the only one you get. So cool. Well, I, I to, well, I'll talk offline because I'd like to know what else. I'd like to know what system that is, just because I'd like to. I'm I'm always curious about that stuff, so we'll talk offline about it. Yeah. All right. I've been David. Yeah. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been Practical Guitarists.